This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian slash comedian Dennis Miller and his guy Friday Christian Black. So let's light that candle, Hiroshi. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Miller! Hey, folks. Welcome to the uh, Dennis Miller Option. I'm going to log in here because I came down to the mothership. Is it Spectrum Wi-Fi, Christian? I don't believe it is. Uh, actually, if you if you hand it over to me, I think I know which one it is and which one is the... Can I the tell you something, folks? And this is from a guy who's a futurist. The Internet is fucked. <laughs> How about that? How's about I go on record? Uh, Christian's logging me in. I am. Um, I logged you in as soon as you walked through that door. <laughs> you had me at password. <laughs> We're going to be joined by uh, Ben Mankiewicz today. He's playing it a little closer to the vest than I am. As he far is. As showing up. Yeah. Um, I came down from Santa Barbara, though. Ben actually lives in this office on the <laughs> other side of the office, and he sashays in late. Um, we'll talk about movies and uh, talk a little baseball with Ben, but mostly movies. Christian, can you do a little slower login? Well, I'd like to look. At, I'm just trying huh? to use the uh, the Wi-Fi password Christian from memory. Type with cloven hooves here. <laughs> hey, KC, you know the password for the login. I thought it was blue sky exclamation point. I'll use my. Uh, that's good to give that. Well, anything, we can take that part away. Can give give out passwords on the. What's KC coming in? He's looking all serious. He's very. I'll just serious. turn it on like it's a phone, right? Won't that work? Is, aren't these just phones in essence? Uh, essentially, iPads? yeah. All right. I'm not going to use that password. Then. Um, Ben's going to join us, and uh, it won't let you. All right. Um, Christian, what's up in the world? Tell me. Give me something to talk about until Ben gets here. We'll talk movies then. We've got a big game tonight in the NFL. Might uh, might be watching now. we got the 9-1 and one Kansas City Chiefs, I believe, with the 9-1 and one L.A. Rams. And the game was going to be in uh, Mexico City. Right. But they couldn't pull the field together. Now, how many games do you have there a year from the NFL? Is it one? Uh, you know, I know they have soccer games in that. I've actually done a uh, game from that uh, uh, stadium with Al. And I don't remember having Montezuma's revenge, but I had Montezuma's uh, indifference. Let's say that. I was a little, <laughs> little bloaty. And uh, is there any way... KC to turn yeah. well, on this. He texted it to me. So, All right. Uh, and I can, uh, give me some topics, Christian. Well, I was uh, reading. I'm that. not even going to open my thing because yeah. it's well, just too hard. I, I can uh, do it. So, uh, what's up my... in the world? What do you want to talk about until Ben gets here? We'll I was reading that uh, apparently people in Tijuana not excited to have the uh, caravan uh, reach there. Uh, there's a few hundred now, and there's expected to be 10,000. And what we had seen previously were signs and cheers and lots of people excited well, and, to and see the caravan. And what is the exact uh, – who have we talked to who's uh – other than people theorizing, but is everybody really happy that anybody can come here at any time? That's what I always want to talk about. I wish we could get a guest to talk about that. Like, is I find it really um, – well, they always talk about racism. I, I find it racist when you roll anybody anything en masse. Let, let's just take this caravan for it. Let, let's, let's say that the caravan has 10,000 people in it. Now, out of the last 10,000 people you've met in your life, uh, how many do you think – 
The big man just walked in. Don't give a shit about the world. We'll talk <laughs> caravan later. I'd like to meet ten thousand Ben Mankowitz. Well, I'm just saying. I think he's got to go. Uh, Out of any, the, uh, you meet ten thousand people. Yeah. How many are going to be assholes? Uh, I mean, really, nine thousand nine hundred ninety-eight. Yeah, well, listen, now you're in the Sartre hell. Is other? <laughs> hey, other I people. said two. I wanted to say one wasn't going to be an asshole, but I was like, you know what? I've got kids. But I mean, for legitimately, them, I, I would say out of ten thousand people, uh, let's just try to take a guess. I know it's Look, a party uh, chat conversation, but I'd say two thousand people are going to be drips, right? Yeah. And I think there'd be some along the way where, you know. And I'm being uh, open-minded there. Sure. When I say 8,000 would be nice. But yeah. if I had to guess, I'd say out of any 10,000, 2,000 are going to be pains in the asses. So what is this whole thing that everybody comes here and uh, either one side or the other, one side said this is all going to be a pox upon the civilization and the other people say, uh, no, no, they're all great. They'll help us. What, what about can we just meet each individual in some sort of – uh, audition process or uh, job interview or anything at the border where we can get any vibe on them, ask for any sort of credibility, and then let them in. And obviously, Titanic rules apply. If you have to lean one way, women and children first, right? I mean, that's yeah. always been the way. But, or, uh, or wealthy people dressed as women. That's usually where I lean. Yeah, but it, it, can we can we check that they're the actual parents? Any of this stuff. This whole thing's gotten so simplistic. People are just using it as a, uh, a, you know, a volleyball to have this national spike off at the net. But the simple fact is, I'd like to meet each one of them, the caravine. What, what is the singular caravine? Uh, caravas. The caravas. And, and chat them up for a second. And what would be wrong with that? But, no, it's got to all be uh, meet them at the border and uh, shut them down. And well, they're thing apparently going to be waiting six months to while applying for asylum, those who are going to go through the process. Okay, so they're going to hang out. Idea. They're going to hang out in Tijuana, and I think that's why in Tijuana they're finally like, hey, we don't want you guys hanging out for six months. Well, listen, they're going to have to get involved because I read that uh, – that, uh, uh, sanctuary or what's it called? There's sanctuary cities? No, there's uh, what are they seeking? There's asylum. Asylum. I read that you can't go through a country to get to a second country and s- seek asylum. Is that one of the rules? It's, it sounds like a game of risk or something. I can but, I can research that yeah. and we can revisit the after big you man. chat with Ben. Uh, here's my. Give me. Give it up. <laughs> this is a solid cat here, Ben Mankiewicz. It's been seamless. Over at TCM. And, brother, that's a hard guy to replace. That's yeah. like Phil Bankston coming in for Vinny Lombardi up in Green Bay. You know, somebody's <laughs> got to do it, but that's like a Harry Carey run. But Osborne was a great cat. Yeah, and so thank you. I appreciate that. I, I was at the Governor's Awards last night, which was ridiculous because I always feel like who who invites? What is the Governor's Award? I'm not even hip to that's that. The, no, it's the, you know, it's the, uh, it's the Oscars, the... the um, uh, the honorary Oscars. They mm-hmm. now have it as a separate oh, event like that. You know, so a publicist got one for the first time. Cicely Tyson, Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and and some people said that. And there's really no nicer compliment because I, I get, you know, Robert was an institution. There was no t- – I wouldn't have this job without Robert Osborne. He didn't play a role in hiring me, but he made this job a thing. 
right? <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, there could be a channel that just showed the movies, right? And you'd watch. You love sure the movies, right? But there's something special about that uh, they figured out with him and, uh, uh, you know, that you tell a little story beforehand. You add that Hollywood context, <laughs> historical context, and it makes it a totally different thing. the right thing. guy. Yeah, well, anyway, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, um, as for those of you who don't know, and obviously this is my – listen, I don't want to sound like a nerd. I have a life like anybody else, but I always check TCM, see what's on, and I'll T-Voto if I'm going on if I want to see something. But I just find the rhythms of the network so amiable and so pre-ironic that I find bliss over there. So for somebody like Ben, who I respect immensely and is a mensch to take over, for those of you who don't know, Osborne was the first guy who did it. He did it for like, I don't know, Ben, when it's 23 years. 94, signed us on the air in 94 with Gone yeah. with the Wind. And he was smooth and yeah. sweet. He did nice interviews. He knew films out the wazoo. That's right. And then you'd see him turn up and think. <laughs> I remember the, the Grizz, and uh, when I went to Atlanta, there's a cat named Grizz there, and Sean Cameron, and they showed me this clip that they thought was Robert on his street scene in Inherit the Wind or something like that. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> no, he, I have not. Yeah. They're Showing it, slowing it down like it's a Zabruder film, and you know, putting a telestrator. And we believe this is Osborne. Could be here. So I think he wanted to be an actor for a while, but oddly enough, I think Lucy grabbed him and said, "That's right." Uh, Lucy talked him. You know, I mean, he, she's like, "You can keep at it. You're all right. You'll do fine." He was really handsome, really good looking dude. Um, but he knew this stuff cold. He knew Hollywood cold, and he was a good writer. Yeah. And so she sort of told him to do this, and you know, he kept this this thing that is so romantic uh, from the time he was you know a kid i'm gonna make up like but like eight years old maybe sooner up in rural washington uh he he would take a little black book and every movie he went to he would write down who was in it who directed <laughs> it what it was about and what he liked about it yeah and then he did and he never stopped doing that and so he has these incredible little black books of you know every movie he went to starting in you know 19 starting during the war and maybe even before i i read that Beatty did that with women Page eight on. <laughs> right, sure. Of course, you I mean, s- Ned Beatty. No, right. I, uh... Oh, man, that guy was a player. Yeah, about, still is. Yeah. What about we transpose Warren Beatty into the Ned Beatty scene in Deliverance? So I was, we interviewed um, uh, a <laughs> different scene. More understandable <laughs> for those guys. Well, you can't even, you got to forgive those guys. <laughs> I mean, look at him. He's beautiful. So I was, what we did, uh, we had uh, Eduardo Ponti on. Uh, he'll be on in oh, December. Sophia's with, kid. Sophia's, uh, I think, youngest son, uh, not Carlo. Ponte Jr. Eduardo, he's a director. He directed his uh, he directed his mom in a, a beautiful uh, okay. twenty five minute uh, short, and uh, it's really great. Um, called Human Voice, and so he's on. He's really thoughtful about his mom, and he's a smart, smart, smart guy. And uh, um, but as we were, uh, uh, what were we talking about? Help me out. Wait, we were just saying I had a good story. Something. I was talking about Beatty having. Oh yeah. Book. So I'm. Um, so I start watching. I want I, I, the Oscars. God bless them. They've put on. Um, on YouTube, like many of the ceremonies, much mm-hmm. of the ceremonies. So you want to see Sophia Loren win the Oscar in 1962 for two for two, for two women, released in 60 in Italy, but 61 here. So 62 Oscars. And you get that. And she doesn't come because she didn't think she was going to mm-hmm. win. And she was really grounded in Italy. She didn't like leaving her family, and that's why she didn't really stay in She was in, in bed, bed with Joan Crawford, as I've heard. <laughs> Is that right? I, that one I don't. It was up for Mildred Pierce. Uh, so, so she... Um, uh, and you see it, and uh, so she wins, and and Greer Garson comes up and accepts it for her, which is just I don't know. I just find this. St- and first of all, and Burt Lancaster can't say her name right. Like it's great. The whole thing's great. I just love watching it. But as they show the other nominees, one of the nominees is Natalie Wood, 
for Splendor in the Grass, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't quite see her date, but then he just for a second, for half a second, he leans in. He's got really thick glasses on. Uh, and you're like, oh my god, that's Warren Beatty, and he's just <laughs> he's just there as Natalie Wood's date. I love, love I can't get enough of coffee. Like that. Is for closers. Yeah. The great Warren Beatty hit the city limits of L.A. and immediately became a libidinal Ellis Island, where everybody had to check in, be given a Beatty name. And some sort of uh, monitor ankle bracelet to see where they were. <laughs> we're talking to the great Ben Mankiewicz, and uh, let me um, uh, let me just ask you, Ben, that uh, the one, Christmas season's always big up there, and yeah. I, I get excited for uh, uh, the, the theme seasons and stuff like that. I, I love leading up to Halloween. I love the month before Oscar. What do you guys got planned for the Christmas season? A lot of stuff, of course, a lot of stuff. We uh, we uh, first of all, we were publishing a book. Uh, uh, and this guy Jeremy Arnold came on. He did four movies, uh, including some, uh, uh, including some interesting ones. Uh, you know, and we got, uh, uh, you know, and it's throughout the month. I mean, I think we have like Christmas in Connecticut and uh, oh, Holiday nice. Affair. Like yeah. you got, you may have a couple opportunities to see that. Like we'll, uh, yeah. it's the, it is the rare month where we will show a movie. More by the than, way, more than once. who's as hot as young Janet Lee? No one, no one. That totally, I totally. Mean, what are you kidding me? I, I watched her in Angels in the Outfield, where she unbelievably, it seems that uh, who's the old cat? Who's the actor in that? Paul Douglas. Paul Douglas yeah. closes on her. Yeah, uh, the, uh, I was just thinking, only Hollywood scriptwriters can think that at some point Paul Douglas would be able to lean in on uh, Janet Lee. Janet Lee and say, you "Right," out. and she's like twenty three at that point. Right, and uh, uh, so. Angels in the Outfield, by the way, the the remake, which is is not uh, not nearly as good. No, nineteen ninety four, I think something like that. But they use a lot of ball players in the remake, including the guy who made me a baseball fan, the player who made me a baseball fan. He was the Sporting News American League Rookie of the Year in nineteen seventy seven. Mitchell Page. He was this fast, strong outfielder with the Oakland A's. Yeah. Two good years, and then shoulder injury and maybe cocaine, and that was sort of a Damn. a quick decline. But he's in it. He plays the first baseman, and he has one line when Danny Glover comes in and, and like insists that like you know the team's terrible, and he's like, "We're coming in early tomorrow, and we're going to work on fundamentals. We're going to take infield." Uh, and Page goes, "Fundamentals in the middle of the season," and that uh, so I've now I've said that twenty five thousand times in my life. Uh, it's just so funny that you're. First off, you have such a quirky choice as somebody who you you latch on to as a kid. Mitchell Page, for God's sake, I thought it was the the fifty eighth Mickey Mantle story I'd hear, but you Mitchell Page, and then he actually turns up in a flick and delivers a, a line. And he uh, he coached for a while. He had people. He was he was uh, interesting, you know. But I was super proud of the fact that I'm growing up in D.C. and I like a uh, player on the you know Oakland by that time seventy seven. They mm-hmm. were terrible. Like I, I ne- until I went to the Bay Area in 1989, my girlfriend from college was was from there, and I went to an A's game. I don't think, and I think 87 or 88. I don't think I met another A's fan. And I walk into the Oakland Coliseum, and I'm like, "Holy crap! There, are, there's 30,000 of them, right? This is there, fantastic." People with a Herb Washington shirt on, for God's <laughs> not sake. one at bat, not one plate appearance. Yeah. No, but yeah. he was uh, Charlie O ran a, a quirky ship up there. He but did. I just went back and read a book about them, 
And folks, for three years there, think about how hard it is. Uh, It's changed now, obviously, post-Messerschmitt, post all these, uh, the talent shifts around a lot more. But still, 74, 75, 76, I think it is. The A's win three in a row. Yeah, 72, uh, 73, 74. And uh, it's my, I don't even think they get along. I think think it's it's rancorous. 25 guys, 25 caps, right? That's what they used to say about the Red Sox. Yeah, the the 86 Red Sox. But it was, you know, it was just cool to be a guy who liked something different. And, you know, at 1977, 78, 79, they were terrible. And you can't – the game started at 7.30, not 7. So they end at, you know, 10.15, 10.30. Mm-hmm. The local papers, you know, you wake up in the morning and you see, you know, Minnesota at Oakland, night game. Mm-hmm. My dad used to get furious He was because they do it sometimes. He was a Cardinal fan in the Midwest, the games they do it too. And he would call the post – he was considered at one point to be the sports editor of the Washington Post. He would call George Solomon, the sports editor of the Washington Post. <laughs> so Fred is, and he would go, George, I know it's a night game. That's why I bought a morning paper. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your dad, Frank. Did he dig, did he dig movies, too? Yeah, he did. He did. But, you know, my, my grandfather was a screenwriter. His dad, Herman Mankiewicz, who wrote uh, Citizen Kane and, and some other a baseball movie, Pride of St. Louis, Pride of the Yankees, too. Um, and he... Uh, uh, but he, Herman struggled with the being in this business, right? He he didn't think it was serious. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you were serious, you were a, a theater critic, right? Or you covered politics, right? Things that mattered. And politics were talked about in the home all the time. So when my dad elected not to go into this business, I think my dad would be a he, – he'd be – my dad could have had a career like William Goldman. I mean, he was a, yeah. he's a, he was a genius and a great writer and smart and funny as hell. Uh, but he wanted to, you know, he went to law school and he got into politics. And then that's, he was in the Peace Corps. He was first Latin American director of the Peace Corps. He worked for Bobby Kennedy. He worked for George McGovern. He ran National Public Radio. And then he finally made a little money starting at age 60 when he got into PR. Yeah, I always, uh, that's where I first came on them as I was such a McGovern fan and such a fine man. Uh, I was a kid. I was a bit more idealistic. And obviously, my politics over the years have leavened. But when I was a kid, McGovern and Eugene McCarthy were the bomb for me. And I always said, who's the smart cat Mankiewicz with him? Well, yeah. So my dad always thought George McGovern was like the noblest guy we've ever had run for office. And he was closer to Bobby Kennedy and loved Bobby. But he, McGovern... Like through flew, I don't have a number in front of me, but he flew thirty three bombing missions over Germany, right? And and any one of them, obviously, you you cannot come back. Um, and you know, he was an Air Force uh, a bomber pilot, and never, ever, ever would talk about it while the Nixon guys are, you know, calling him no. soft. And he was like, no, you don't. That's no. not, it's not what you, you don't talk. We did it. That was our job. That's was the our, buy-in right, on right. that. That's Same right. with Jimmy Stewart. They, that's right. They're not going to share that shit. And my dad, shit. too. Yeah, that's right. He was, Jason's, that's sacred stuff, man. And that's, that's the club. And my dad was a big liberal Democrat all his life, of course. But that's why he had always this sort of close bond with Bob Dole. I mean, they didn't, just, they didn't agree on anything, but they loved hanging out. With each Dole, other. man. Yeah. Uh, when you read, uh, folks, the best uh, Richard Ben Kramer's What It Takes is the definitive political book. And when Dole came back and he got blown up right at the end, one yeah. of those heartbreak things where take the anthill like two days later, it would have been don't take, you know, something equivalent to that. Get blown up completely in a body cast. His mom goes to pick him up at Kansas at the train station. He's... Uh, Imagine your your baby is laying there and somebody's put a cigarette out on his body cast. That's that's, really? and she just sitting there sobbing. And I thought, 
Man, when guys see this is folks, we are hung up on the shallowest shit in the world with <laughs> politics. I'm telling you, whichever way anybody wants to go, once they've done that, once they've seen that, you know, they talk about there's a war on the midterm election. No, no, once guys have <laughs> been in that, that complete goat fuck where where the man's inhumanity, man's insanity, man's nobility, and man's genius is all jammed in together in a foxhole in essence <laughs> everything else must seem like a triviality to yeah. them at some point yeah you know what's like war other wars <laughs> right that's what's that's what's like exactly. war. Yeah. yeah not uh not the nfl on no, sunday no. and not politics it, yeah. it almost makes you so sheepish when you right. hear people beating that drum and you go oh for god's sakes it's a recount in florida lighten up here um the uh like um uh, and we uh, john landis is going to be a guest programmer in, in december too and he picked um and he picked you mentioned the anthill he one of the movies he picked Paths was Paths of glory. glory he picked some crazy movies a movie called the monster and the girl and Paths of glory and some laurel and hardy shorts um, but like the the monster and the girl, and then followed by Paths of Glory. Monster and Girl is a movie that starts out with uh, a guy wrongly accused of murder, and he's it's, it's like it starts at his trial. It's told in in uh, flashback, and he's going to get the death penalty for killing a guy. And we see the scene; they set him up. He didn't kill the guy. It's a great. It looks like a pretty good noir. That guy's not great, but the rest, Ellen Drew's the girl. There's, there's some nice cast members, and Paul Lucas is in it as the it bad guy. It might unfold at that point. Right. And you're like, you're kind of into it. And then I'll betray it a little, but they, 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 uh, so the guy gets executed, right? They can't, they can't solve it. They plead with the judge, the prosecutors. And then uh, a doctor shows up and uh, gets the guy before he's executed to agree to allow his brain to be taken out and put into a gorilla. And then that's the back half of the movie. <laughs> the gorilla <laughs> seeking revenge. Uh, so, And you're like, what, what, what's happening? what just happened to this movie? <laughs> Where, uh, but it's like an hour and four minutes, which I always love. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. An yeah, hour and yeah, four. That yeah. tells you something, yeah, folks. Yeah. It's in, you should watch it because it might be terse and uh, have Barry Fitzgerald as a cop in New York and they're clipping uh, it along. They couldn't or it could Barry be, Fitzgerald, yeah. Huh? Yeah, they couldn't afford Barry Fitzgerald. Or it could be a, it could be halfway through. Uh, Bella Lugosi dies, <laughs> and they bring a stranger in. That's right. Kind of looks like him. Kind of looks like yeah, yeah. Because I get about minute fifty nine. You're like, man, I don't know where this is going to go, <laughs> but around. it's going to go there in four minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wherever it goes, it's going to wrap this up in a hurry. Oh, I, I honestly go when I watch Ben and I watch his intros. I'm so. Uh, some guys, and you just speak in your head. I think, what would I write on an intro about this one? And you invariably hit it. And it's the same thing that, that makes me laugh there. You say it, there's a frisson point of 59 in an hour and four film. Right. And it's it's as interesting as a great film in a way because you think, totally. okay, there's like four loose ends here. What are they going to do? Uh, we're talking to Ben Mankiewicz. He is the host uh, of TCM for me. I know they've put on some other people, but been, been there 15 years, and the other people are nice. I'm, 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 I just, my uh, bread is buttered over with Mankiewicz. And I like Eddie. You were talking about Noir, and I think Eddie does a, oh, a good great. job he's on good. the Noir. He's God, really... he's deep inside on that oh, stuff. He, everything, he? everything. Yeah. He, uh, um, you know his lead-ins. I mean, I'm so jealous. I'm, I was sad. He, yeah, we, we, were, he we, we were together. At the, we were together at the. At, we were both shooting in Atlanta at the same time. Just a couple last week, really, and. Uh, and uh, and we went to dinner, and he's become a really good friend of mine. But I sit in on one of his interests. He's got this beautiful set. It's got like a smoke 
machine, you know, and it's uh, he's got these great forties and fifties, totally right, um, you know, and they last, you know, I mean, like you know, I think Obama had just been elected yeah. when they last did my set, you know, and uh, um, I'm not complaining a little, and uh, um, but uh, but his lead-ins, man, I mean, he's they're like yeah, they're like eight minutes long. He's and he is deep 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 in it but it's like a reminder you learn little things like I, I watched him and i'm like well he goes a lot slower than i do that's something to you know to keep in mind we don't want to feel like i'm not racing to the end and so uh he's good i like the other people we've hired too so i yeah, i'm sure. not just saying I'm that just... I, I hear you i know i appreciate the compliments but i uh i would just point out that when i was hired and there wasn't twitter but there were facebook i'm not really on facebook but there was um there were message boards and i was hired and for about 15 months, man, it was so ugly. Really? Yeah, oh, I mean, the people hated me. I mean, they hated me. And I think they hated me because of the thing. Well, one, look, it's broadcasting. And there are people who are revered figures in broadcasting who I can't stand. I'm sure that's true with you, too. Like, there's so much subjectiveness into what you like and somebody who <laughs> presents things on television. But... um but I think mostly at TCM, this place that matters so much to people, right? It, it's part of their lives. And then they see a young guy had a goatee, and they were like, and, and I wasn't Robert, and I wasn't wearing a tie. And they thought, you're changing the thing I love. And, you know, we hate change more than anything. We yeah, hate but, Brother, you were drawn to it inside straight, and I'm telling you, now people think the P1s. There's a phrase in radio and TV, folks. It's called P1s. It's the true believers, the people who live for a brand. Uh, they're the hardest, but once you get in, they're That's the right. loyalists. That's right, yes. And uh, when I go, I went to the film festival last year, and the P1s adore you. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to pull up. Plus, I'm hearing your voice now. I'm thinking the voice is uh, getting known. When I think of the, when I Rorschach on the brand now, I think of that voice. The intros are really well written. And the, the new people are nice. I'm, I'm saying, though, that they're there for uh, your the principal host in people's minds now. And I'm happy it worked out that way because that's how it should be. I'm trying to think back. I know how fervent you are, for God's sakes, to say you're Mitchell Page. (laughs) You you got in early and you got in eclectic on baseball. Mm -hmm. With your lineage, when do you first start becoming fascinated with films? It sounds like your father didn't really lead you to it, but maybe Herman more. Herman, but Herman died at 53. Joe Mankiewicz, Herman's brother, Mm -hmm. was more successful than Herman, you know, for four Oscars, two and two, writing and directing back-to-back years. Hard to see that being duplicated just no. at the pace movies. Hey, folks, and for the, we'll tell the I mean, All About Eve. Yeah, uh, All About Eve. That script L- Letter to Three Wives, All About Eve. Unbelievable. Uh, so Joe Mankiewicz, and he did, you know, um, No Way Out, which was really Sidney Poitier's first movie, mm-hmm. and all the way through to Cleopatra. Am uh, I, am, listen, am I in the oddest duck who I like Cleopatra? You know, I like Cleopatra, too, and I'm mostly irritated that, you know, that there's not – Joe wanted two three-hour movies, which would have been great. And they do now, obviously. That's a cool now. move at that point. Right. Um, and they know, and they ended up making one four-hour, 20-minute. Where would he ended it? Just her coming to Rome? I don't know. So, yeah, I don't somewhere know. now. And, because his – it can't be done. Obviously, his son, Tom Mankiewicz, who was a writer and director, a really good one, tried. But the footage doesn't exist. So it's that – the ability well, to create that. got a hell that. of a thing out of Roddy McDowell. Jeez, Roddy McDowell's pretty stunning in that film, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, I, and, I, and Marty Landau, obviously, always is. He was so great. And, you know, so uh, he – but you know, great thing about Joe, you'll like this. So they pay Joe. Two people were the first million dollar paychecks in that movie. Liz Taylor, mm-hmm. right, and 
and Joe Mankiewicz, name above the title, and they gave him a million dollars. Joseph L. Mankiewicz is Cleopatra. Then, of course, you know, it just gets out of control. Liz made like seven and a half million dollars. Because she was on a ticking cab meter, so, right? Yeah, yeah, and she and I don't she know also what, had the ability to shut it down and she, keep the ticker going. And she did, right? No question. <laughs> um, there's a story, it can't be true because it's too good a story, that she'd be unable to come to work. They'd go see her, and she, this is obviously when she starts the affair with Burton, too. And so she, they'd go and be like, all right, you know, a guy would go pick her up in the morning for the call time, and they'd be like, oh, she's she's sick. It's, uh, it's you know, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to be pejorative, but they'd be like, Liz says it's her time of the month. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, she can't work today. We'll shoot some other stuff. A couple weeks later... <laughs> Two weeks later, like, I can't come in today. It's her time of the month. Like, well, I don't know a lot about this, but I think it only happens once. Well, during the shooting yeah. of Cleopatra, she's also claiming that it was her time of the epoch. That's right. So, uh, so she ends up drawing seven million dollars. Nineteen the movie out in sixty three. Oh. So this is like sixty two that she seven and a half million. And Joe gets paid a million to do it. But it, in some ways, it wrecked his career. I mean, it frayed his nerves. Yeah. You know, he, he bared the burden of bankrupting. The reason there's a Century City in Los Angeles is because of Cleopatra. They had to. They had to sell that property. Um, but uh, then Joe hated the movie, uh, hated it. And so then after getting made a million dollars, tried to get his name taken off it. I mean, he wanted to keep the million, but, <laughs> but don't – he didn't want his name on no, it. No, he had an engram from it. That's one thing where Scientology makes sense to me, where they talk about things called an engram, which is such a traumatic experience that you kind of can't rub it out of your you, – mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's, it's – yeah. I'm not a Scientologist. I'm just saying that sounds yeah, like that, an engram. It does. That does. That's a good phrase. I'd never heard that phrase. That's a good one. The uh, So you made a couple of movies afterwards, Joe, did, including uh, – a Western called There Was a, a Crooked Man. Crooked Man, yeah. And Kirk Douglas in that movie. And Kirk came to the film festival like the first or second year. It was a big interview for me to get. Um, and post-stroke, but he was still, you know, it's mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas and this is a TCM audience and, you know, the degree of, you know, a passion they feel for this guy. And, but we're backstage and I'm talking to Kirk and he says to me, uh, yeah, I made a I made a Western with your uh, – uh, with your Uncle Joe. And I go, yeah, yeah, there was a crooked man. He goes, pauses, he looks down, and you know, he goes, yeah. Uh, Joe Joe shouldn't have made a Western. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you knowing Joe, Joe's not, I mean, he, again, all about Eve, that's that's a Joe Mankiewicz movie, a Western, not a Yeah, not folks, a Joe think about a man movie. writing and directing. I mean, th- I'm telling you, there's maybe 10 times in your life you see something and it stops, and you go, well, that's perfect. Yeah. And that's perfect. And even movies that I think are by and large perfect. There's uh, Broadcast News is a pretty nigh perfect film for a modern film, but Bill Hurt delivers a line in there where he, he says, uh, I pretty much would like to be able – it's like too self-conscious. And mm-hmm. you can't say it's perfect. But I'm telling you, you can watch from Marilyn Monroe, unknown, uh, on the steps, the whole – thing is absolutely perfect and that's a uh, that's ben's uncle the great joe mank which is uh, or uh, i think it's on stage now in in london really yeah which, I with mean, songs I, no i think oh, it's okay. i think it's just a i don't know but i know my my, my presumption was, was it's just a straight, say, straight drama. Coming, it's gonna be a rocky night <laughs> everybody buckle you see I, I don't need that to happen and then you go back to Herman, who has the greatest Oscar acceptance speech, and Ben and I talked about this, but I'll hit the reboot because it's just so perfect where Wells, listen, master of salon, brilliant guy. I mean, really, brilliant, film, no film, read Simon Callow's trilogy, films wouldn't be films without 
Wells, but a, a classic ascriber of other people's uh, labors. Uh, Herman, I think, takes a tract house in Victorville, which is some mm-hmm. town where Roy Rogers Museum was. There's not much to do there but write, unless you go look at Trigger every night, like a, a <laughs> equine fetishist <laughs> and, or something. And jo- John Houseman out there with him to to make sure he doesn't drink. His leg was broken. They just to sort of shepherd oh, him around and, and make sure. Too. Yeah, right, right, right. Knocks and, out. And uh, here's some milk. Knocks out Citizen K. Think about that. Wells has his completion anxiety, so he blows out. Uh, it eventually costs him with Ambersons because he blows out. Robert Wise has to edit it into the Wells for the rest of his life. But something about Wells is participant in that. He blows out after Kane. He goes to South America to do a freak show film where he wants to meet dames, quite frankly, and drink. And, and uh, it, Herman wins the Oscar. In conjunction with Wells for best screenplay, it's at a luncheon thing, I think, still. Yeah, because Herman didn't go to the ceremony. Yeah, yeah. and he says, I accepted I accepted in uh, – well, you tell it. Yeah, what's I, the line? I, accept, I accepted in Orson's absence uh, uh, because it was written in it the was, same. That's right. It was, I accept this in Orson's absence because it was also – the screenplay was also written in Orson's <laughs> oh, absence. Oh, yeah. man, you talk yeah. about rapier. So the yeah. Mankiewicz's – Pith, uh, and uh, you talk about uh, this Romanoff show. Maybe we ought to do the Mankiewicz thing next, maybe, because there's a lot of odd twists. Is there anybody I don't know about? What's Tom famous for? Tom uh, wrote uh, three Bond movies and and wrote Superman 1 and 2. I mean, Puzo has the credit, but Tom was the first to get the credit of uh, a creative consultant. Anyway, it came after Written By, Mm -hmm. which was a huge fight with the Writers Guild. I'm sure. but uh, uh, Dick Donner will tell you that uh, that uh, Tom was Tom, the cat. Yeah, yeah, and he was so Superman one and two, three Bond movies, and then Tom became. He also created Heart to Heart. Uh, he also that's where he, that's where he got he his had points on Heart to Heart. He created. It's what he was. That's what got him the house. Yeah, that's yeah, what got I'll him the Beverly Hills house. Although <laughs> you'll love the story about Heart to Heart. So at some point, I don't remember what studio they make Heart to Heart for, but. Obviously, you know, it's the number one show for like a year or two and in the top ten for four years, you know, and ran for six or whatever. And, of course, but it's weird in that era that 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 getting 37 million Americans to watch whatever night it was on still didn't turn a profit. Right. That's what the studios claim. And so they're like, you know, right. And Unbelievable. So, so Stephanie Powers and, and R.J. Wagner and Tom Sue, because they all have. Sure. Right? And uh, and they're told uh, you can't win. The studio just overwhelm you. They can go. They can string this out forever. If you pull your resources together and you have the celebrity of those two people together, then maybe we have a fighting chance. And when they did, what do you know? Oh yeah, I get maybe one year there was a couple million bucks that we could uh, yeah. that we could throw your way. Um, so Tom then became he had a great gig that you could sort of the last twenty years of his life. He directed a couple movies that were pretty soap dish, Dragnet, the Tom mm-hmm. Hanks Dan Aykroyd movie, and and uh, well, soap dish is a blast. Yeah, I like soap dish, and then the Dragnet hangs it holds. Anyway, so he was mostly he was a writer, and he then would have this deal where that I guess happened. Carrie Fisher did it for the last years of his life where they call you up and they're like, look, this scene needs to be reworked. Punch up. Punch up. Uh, you know, here's a, a hundred grand yeah. and we need it in four days. Right. right. It's a good, that's a pretty good Beautiful gig to have, to have that life. So he was, uh, he was an early script editor. I think creative consultant was the title he got on the first two Supermans. And by the way, if you have points on heart to heart, at some point you uh, put a, uh, 
a Lionel Standard flag at the top of your house. That's right. That's right. When uh, these two got together, <laughs> it, it was mad. I, I, I always wanted a celebrity death match between a Lionel Standard claymation model and a Bill Demarest one. Uh, that was good. Yeah, yeah. The, those uh, two angling for uh, that role. Uh, a Standard, uh, yeah. I, it's, and, and, I, and like but when I was single, Stephanie Powers like wanted to set me up with Lionel Standard's daughter. It was nice. It was, uh, Stephanie's <laughs> awesome. And, and so is RJ. They're both they're both they're both great. They're funny that stephanie reminds me of jill in a way so rj has oh, a yeah. oh, no question I mean? that's right. uh, totally yeah, yeah something about the two uh, i i know them minimally but they're both sweet yep. they were so nice to me and they both were beautiful and, so you, uh, can, you can you can you can do you know that when so this is incredible that that at the same i think it was a dance class a ballet class, but I might be wrong. Maybe there was music involved. Maybe it was a music class, but I think mm-hmm. a ballet class in like – I'm making up the year now, whatever, 1940. Um, uh, that There were three girls in this class of nine and so uh, uh, Jill St. John, mm-hmm. Stephanie Powers, Natalie Wood. All in the same class. I think I've seen that's somewhere that turns up. I read Hollywood books. Right. The wazoo, and I've I think seen that. that's turned up. There's a photo. Somewhere. It's not yeah. that one's not hypocritical. There, it's amazing. And yeah. they're so uh, beautiful. They're beautiful, and, and, and they, then they all became obviously this huge yeah. part of RJ's life. Yeah. We're talking to Ben Mankiewicz. He is the principal host. I'm going to call him over at the, the best TV station in the world, uh, TCM. I can't believe looking back that Ted ever colorized that. He must have been mad because the charm of it is, as I was watching more of the Merrier the other night, I thought, geez, the, the black and white. I mean, when George Stevens went super tight on either uh, Monty and Liz in the billiard room and Place in the Sun or more the Mary or Gene Arthur and Joan McCray, those super tight things. It's as horny as it can get. I defy you not to watch Gene Arthur, who's just this side of Irene Dunn as far as having an – you know, I, I, you don't think of her as a classic sex kitten. But when her breath is being taken away by Joel McCray kissing her, I thought, Jesus, this is this is the stuff right here. So that uh, Mark Harris book that, uh, you know, uh, the, the, about the five directors, yes, five came five back. Came back. You know, uh, uh, Weiler and Capra and Ford and Houston and Stevens, these guys who went to shoot war documentaries and had their lives profoundly changed by what they saw. Stevens is the one who came back. The, the Stevens who did A Place in the Sun and the Stevens who did The More the Merrier, they're both great directors, but there is almost nothing mm-hmm. shared. Um, no, but he evacuated the camps, I think. Yeah, he, he had it particularly. First. Yes, that's right. Yeah. His kid made a one of the most beautiful homages to an old man yes. you can ever make. If you ever get a chance to see George Stevens Jr.'s, uh, I, I forget what he calls it, a biography of a filmmaker, something about his old man, it's a stunner, folks. I mean, I'm not just talking about documentary. I'm talking about documentary melded with the love of a son and a life worth lived than his father. Somebody's got to go in those camps first with a film crew to yeah. so never forget becomes a you can't forget and he was in first and i don't think they say he was never yeah it changed, but it, it, it you know he he recovered obviously in a sense but he just like all of a sudden he thought you know i got it i can't make a movie like the more than yeah. that's not why i'm here on this earth to, yes. make, to make pictures like that george stevens jr became a lifelong friend of my uh, oh, my dad's in dc yeah, oh. so it's nice yeah well he goes on to make giant and I, folks you can take it all the way back to what a fun Indiana Jones before Indiana Jones Gunga Din is. I mean, that's you watch right. those yeah. three guys together, and that's the birth of that sort of film. It's so uh, Cary Grant, 
I think you, you can fill me in. You're the the host, but I think that's before Carrie's quite Carrie, right? Isn't that Carrie yeah, yeah, in that's Ascension? Thirty eight. So yeah, we're a little before Carrie is uh, fully uh, Carrie. We had a Mae West movie somebody picked just now, right? Uh, yeah, I mean where he's uh, you know plays a, a essentially a Salvation Army captain, but he's an undercover Fed officer. It's <laughs> um, great, and you can you get it from the voice sometimes when he's talking. Yeah. Like oh yeah, that's. Doesn't that's, she tell him to come up and see her? That's he, that's who she says it to. Come Imagine up and that. see me sometime. That's yeah, the Cary Grant. You know, if we went back and rewrote that, now it'd be thank you. No, I'm Cary Grant. <laughs> right, exactly. You come, you come see me if you if you care. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Talking to Ben Mankiewicz. Now I'm reading a book. Uh, I'll, I'll be intrigued about. Uh, and like I said, folks, I, I, I fully confess something about old Hollywood fascinates me. So I read Scott Iman. I read all his stuff. I read uh, – I'm currently reading a Howard Hawks book. And boy, when you look at Hawks' films, man, uh, I, you know, I read a Cortez book recently. I'm reading a Hawks book. And, oh, uh, Alan Rohde's Kurt yeah, Cortez yeah, book. And, yeah, yeah, uh, It was yeah. pretty fascinating. But yeah. as I look at uh, Howard Hawks' filmography – Pretty mind-boggling, and I'm going to even give him the Christian Nyby thing that he—I think he threw him the bone on. It came from outer space, or the thing from outer space. But talk about a wide array of films. What's your take on Hawks? You know? Yeah, I mean, you'll—you know—I'm underselling Hawks by this, but we did talk about baseball. Hawks is the Tony Phillips of Hollywood. I mean, <laughs> could, uh, it was my favorite, it all. second favorite player, um, and uh, he could right. He could do anything, and he did them all really well. I got an event coming up in two weeks in Tucson for the TCM Backlot, which is our fan club, which is a pretty cool fan club, by mm-hmm. the way, for the those best. interested. Sweet uh, people. Um, and uh, Angie Dickinson in Tucson for uh, Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo. And Angie's imp- – you know, you can't meet Angie and have her not be one of your five or six favorite people on the planet. She's, Coolest day. She's so cool. Coolest yeah. day. Um, but, you know, the stuff about Hawks re- doing Rio Bravo because he and Wayne – were offended by the politics of High Noon, and you know this was which High Noon obviously a a, a not even a thickly veiled uh, 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 attack on uh, McCarthyism. Right. But then, so they don't like that the movie, so they make real. And then you ask Angie about that because that's super interesting to me, and she's like, "Yeah, no one had any clue that this was this." No one, yeah. I guarantee you, Ricky Nelson and Dean Martin did not know that this was the <laughs> subtext of this film they were making. And of course, now you watch both movies and you're like, I don't know what's happening here. They're both great westerns. Like, what's the? There's no. Ricky Nelson kills it. I yeah. think he plays Colorado. If I'm not mistaken, I think mistaken. that's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, I remember and, he got a state name. And I, listen, you know, you think of Ricky Nelson from Ozzy and Harriet, but I'm telling you, he's standing in there with Duke. And, uh, and Dean killing it. Yeah, and Dean, Dean and, was... Dean, and Dean is you know because I mean Dean had presence. You know he. Yeah. Uh, I watched for Dean like the uh, when I go down the YouTube rabbit holes. It is frequently old talk shows. Mm-hmm. I love watching you know Dick Cavett and 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 old Carsons. And there's really no better guest than Dean. He always brought it. He always brought. Wasn't he something. flicking the cigarette in Georgie Goebbels' yeah. coffee? Yeah, totally. That's right. And he would. Uh, and he would, you know, he just little things that, you know, the guys like you would have, you know, he forgets Carson's name sometimes, you know. <laughs> you know, just in case you either, it's John, right? It's John. Carson, yeah, yeah, it's John. Yeah, that's right. Have you ever seen the St. Louis Hospital benefit footage of the Rat Pack? It's like the only good footage. Everything no, no, from no. L.A. Mm. looks like it's shot, uh, you know, just 
it's a wreck. You can't really follow it. You hear clanking of room service trays and stuff like that. But there's one great piece of footage. They do a benefit show for a children's hospital in St. Louis, and Joey is not there that night. And they call in as a substitute host. You can find this on YouTube, 27, 28-year-old Johnny Carson. Oh, wow. He's a thin bean mm. He looks sort of like Van Dyke, you know, on the seasons where he would trip over the ottoman. And <laughs> right. he goes up and he says, uh, it's so funny because he's unformed. It's like a body snatcher pod, but he's got his rhythms. And he goes, Joey couldn't be here tonight. Uh, he he heard his back bowing out of Frank's presence. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so freaking funny. And they're cute. so cool. And you watch Dino. Although it's funny, uh, even films where guys take a run, Red Buttons and Sayonara, Dean and Young Lions, they're so dwarfed by uh, the, the, the genius of Brando. I mean, I'm watching Young Lions. I want to be all in on Dean, and, but, I, but I'm reminded that it's just sort of an easy, laconic thing. He has a few moments of ire in there, but he's just kind of being Dean. And you go over to Brando, he's taking those eight-minute pauses with the Ilya Kiriarkin peroxide job, <laughs> and you're thinking, he must have freaked people out when they dropped him in the film. Dean felt huge pressure on that, got huge, big help from Montgomery Cliff. Oh, he did. Yeah, um, and, but, you know, took it seriously. Anyway, so I'm a, I'm a, but I'm a Dean fan, but I ever Everybody's, Hawks sort of, you know, those great directors like Hawks, you know, they, they're they likely to bring out the best performances yeah. in people. Have you, had, you ever had Peter Bogdanovich on? No. You no, should I, have I Peter. I met him once and he was great. So Peter has this – Peter is this untapped resource because Peter knows these guys, interviewed him when he yeah. was – before he became a director. Serious, long-form interviews that there are tapes of too, which is great. Uh, and his book, you know, which is his book is a line from Hawks: "Who the devil made it?" Mm. Which is the conversation with these great directors, right? And because Hawks said, when you watch a movie, it should be clear who the devil made it, mm-hmm. right? And uh, but Peter will end up without. I mean, I guess he knows he's doing it. Of course, he knows he's doing it. But he imitates Hitchcock and Wells and Ford. And Hawks, and to have a guy capable of that, and then tell and, and whatever version of the story Peter tells the best one. Yeah. So, so a guy like you, you would love. Well, I'd to love Peter. to yeah, chat him yeah. up, Ben, but I'd have to ask you to. I, I can, I'm I, bad I'm about ha- ask him if he'd be receptive to that. But I've listened to. I have the entire set of cassettes of him and Wells, right? Where you can hear Wells literally having chicken tenders <laughs> right. and crab legs delivered from Mom Maison. You hear the clank of that heavy cutlery, and he'll go and like just to order the next course. You hear Wells say, oh, "The centerpiece staircase in Ambersons," <laughs> and he'll go off on some. Line. But it's funny because you can tell Bogdanovich knows when he's uh, pontificating. Whereas sometimes with Truffaut, and you, when you read or listen to the things with Hitchcock, he's so in awe of him that he'll never bring him back. Whereas once in a while, uh, you, you can feel. Uh, I'm going to steal one Peter story about Wells because you bring it up. So during the making of The Other Side of the Wind, right, yeah. which is the one out now that Peter. It just came out, uh, right? Peter, Peter and Frank Marshall uh, with the editor. Uh, I can't remember his name. I apologize for that. So they finished the movie. But for Peter and Frank Marshall, who was the, like, it was a, you know, a, a first assistant director, a location manager on it. Uh, and then Peter is in it. And sort of is plays him a version of himself to John Huston playing a version of Wells, but it's way more complicated than that. I'm underselling it. Um, uh, I mean, it's you should anybody who watches it is on Netflix now. There's a documentary, uh, "They'll Love Me When I'm Dead," yes. which is really about the making of it, and it will help you to watch the documentary yeah, first. Watch the doc first, and then the and there's great stuff from old talk shows on that too. Um, so. Uh, 
So uh, they're they're you know Wells shot for six years and didn't uh, <laughs> and you know and the movie the the revolution in Iran took that movie because part of the financing came from the Shah's brother-in-law. And then the Ayatollah comes, and so then the movie's locked and stuck in Fr- stuck in France because the friggin' Ayatollah Khomeini owns an Orson Welles movie, essentially. So it's really, it's just great. It's the crazy. There's a rights dispute. Right, with the, but I mean, it's the, it's the craziest story ever. So, um, but they're shooting, and uh, at some point, you know, maybe Frank Marshall, somebody says, you know, uh, Orson, it's two thirty in the afternoon. We've been shooting since eight thirty, and the crew is starving, and they need to. Eat and Wells says something, something like, "I don't know what you need. Why do they need to eat? I don't need to eat. Let's work. Let's work." And well, they were fine. Take lunch. I and Peter, you'll stay here, right? Peter's like, "I'm not hungry. I'll stay here." Peter and I will wait here until you have finished with your lunch. Right? <laughs> so, crew goes. Well, still right? doesn't need food. <laughs> right. And then they're sitting in the. They go into this industrial kitchen that they had. And they're sitting around the table, and there's no food in there. And but the way Peter describes it, there's an industrial size bag of Fritos. Uh, and, of course, the way uh, Peter doing Wells is not Fritos, it's Fritos. Right? And, so, and so Wells opens the bag and pours all of them on the on the table. Right? So there's just a big giant, you know, like they're playing Mahjong with Fritos. And, uh, and, uh, and then so uh, uh, and, and, and Wells then puts a giant handful and it just fills his mouth. So Peter's like, all right, well, this is what we're doing. So Peter does the same thing with his mouth. And then as the little bits of Fritos are flying out, Wells says, you know, it doesn't count if they don't see you eat. <laughs> the classic yeah. corollary on right. the tree falls right. in the woods. Right, right, they totally. they don't see yeah. you eat. Right, right. Of course, Wells, is he's, he was starving, right, because he hadn't eaten in six oh, hours. Oh, my God. Well, this is why Ben uh, is the honcho over there, folks. you got to watch it. I watch it on DTV. I don't have to tell you, but I know sometimes people bride it. I'll say to them, uh, you should watch it. And they go, old movies. I go, listen. I'm telling you, if you want to clear your head out, anybody out there who's so caught up in the fractiousness of the times right now, if you want to go to a pre-ironic, pure place where there was still some easy, predictable outcomes, and there's also other films, too. I'm not saying it always works out, but I'm just saying there's some sort of resolution short of sports, and it is in the brilliance of these films from the 30s, 40s and 50s in this country started diffracting a little there are great films in the 60s but it becomes a whole different thing that studio system as bad as it was in many ways and you know good good for olivia de Havilland and betty davis and all them for fighting it it was like being able to keep a team together that's uh, right that's right they were tight that freed unit was like the 27 yanks man they had the best uh, hair color, you know, everybody. And that's what I mean, but like the, you know, the art direction, the set direction, the makeup, they, these were the best people in their field doing the thing they did best and not being asked to do something that they weren't great at. Yes. And that, and it were, obviously there were huge, huge problems with it. But like, you know, Bogdanovich, for example, looks back on the studio system with awe, loved it, right? Mm-hmm. And he's the part of the, you know, new wave of the filmmaking, you know, down, and breaks yeah. it down. But, uh, and, and Robert Wagner, you know, who got about, you know, five or six years in it at Fox longer even before it broke down. He loves it. They looked like they, you know, there was some, and they, you know, and he wakes up one morning to read the paper and see that he's engaged to Terry Moore, who he'd made a movie <laughs> with, but they weren't dating. They never got 
Madonna, but she was having an affair with Howard Hawks, I uh, with Howard a, Hughes. I thought uh, she was in Mighty Joe Young. Uh, said, well, she was in Mighty Joe Young. That's right. She was with Mighty Joe Young. She was, she was big, manly. Um, so, uh, a man's man. And he's like, yeah, so I, you know, and, and he was dating Barbara Stanwyck at the time, which is also a great little well, thing. Well, RJ yeah. always talks about, yeah. you know, there'll be hints, as there are with everybody who's ever been in show business, there's always a hint about homosexuality, and they'll ask RJ about it, he'll say, well, I don't know. Uh, not for me, let's say. He uh, he was with, uh, I don't mean RJ, I mean Barbara Stanwyck. You That's know, right, yeah. These rumors, he's like, well, she was, she was yeah. putting on, yeah. because putting she was my show. sexual mentor. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah, putting on quite a... And you watch Barbara Stanwyck in Ball of Fire. Once again, another Hawks film that That's I right. did not know. Folks, there's a scene in there with her, she jamming with Gene Krupa to a song. I can't even remember the song, but uh, then they bring it down where Krupa pulls out a pack of box matches and does the same drum solo on the top of a table. And it's as uh, cool as it gets. And, and real quick, but because uh, you mentioned Stan and how Hawks could do everything. And then Stanwick does Ball of Fire and she does the Lady Eve and she does Christmas in Connecticut and Double Indemnity. Yes. Right. I mean, she could do anything and i love uh, mary louise parker or whoever no it's not it was vic morrow's daughter uh jennifer jason lee does the thing about her and stella dallas at the end standing outside oh uh, I, don't, I don't there's an interstitial piece oh that we network. have that we have i yes. probably haven't seen it and they sure. show her at the end watching her daughter getting married and knowing she did the best thing by giving her up and moving it's it's absolutely heartbreaking in 10 seconds i'll tell you that what you're saying is what like you know we've done some research and 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 that's what people say is that in the these incredibly fractious times where people are, you know, afraid of the news and afraid of what they're going to read and feel distanced and separated from sometimes those closest to them, not just their neighbors, but their families. They see TCM as this respite, yeah. this, this escape from that. Me too, folks. It's like a good cognac. And do yourself a favor. Grab whatever you like as a libation. Jump in around five at night. Maybe it's the next one. Maybe it's the third one. There's always three good swings at the ball over there. <laughs> Sit down. Put a duvet around your feet with the person you love. Have a little uh, Have a little Negroni, as I like to do with an orange peel. And uh, it's the best. It's the best. You don't even have to go outside the house. And you're fortified. Your confidence in humankind is renewed. That's right. And, uh, well, you laugh, you cry, the whole thing. But it's for real. Brother? Thank you. I'm so happy, man. Thank you. I, I was always, I used to always call you and go, you got to get this job. This means a you lot did. to you me. You were very kind. And, those, uh, those, those, those little calls and emails you sent, they meant a lot. So thank you. Hey, are you going to spring training this year? Yeah, I'd like to go to spring training. I always want to go. Well, I'm going to email dad, you because we'll see yeah, if there's any overlap. If it would be nice. My, my dad, and that's really why I'm a baseball fan. I went with my dad every year for 30 years. And yeah. it, was just, it was always a great trip. First Florida, then Arizona. Yeah, we go down to Port St. Lucie. My boy's a Met fan. and uh, We should go, we should go right. to St. Petersburg where the Mets and the Cardinals were. Yeah, yeah. At, down at Roger Dean, I think. Is that not the that's state? That's Al Lang Stadium. Oh, Roger Al Dean Lang. is like... It's one of them, Clearwater. And uh, yeah, I get them all yeah, mixed yeah. up, but I run into Scott Iman down there, too. The great yeah, he goes. Yeah, 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 so he loves the cards, too. All right, brother. We'll talk at you down the road. i got to do a little wrap-up here, a little business. I'm going to take a quick photo for the social media, if you don't mind. Yeah. By the way, love your sweatshirt. You have the Springsteen on Broadway sweatshirt. Oh, yeah. I have the Land of Hope and Dreams Oh, very hat. nice. Yeah. yeah. Before we go, I have to make sure everyone knows that Dennis's new comedy special, Fake News, Real Jokes, is now available on Amazon iTunes, Steam, Google Play, and several other platforms. The album has also been released at all digital and physical audio retailers as a CD. 
And don't forget that Dennis and Mark Stein will be performing in Reading, Pennsylvania, Friday, February 22nd, Syracuse, New York, Saturday, February 23rd, Rochester, New York, Friday, March 1st, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, Saturday, March 2nd. If you have a question or comment on Twitter, at Dennis DMZ or me, I'm at Christian DMZ, use the hashtag Dennis Miller option. And as I often like to mention on the show, I have my own podcast, The Blackcast, which you can find at B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T dot com. Our most recent episode was a tribute to the late, great Stan Lee. Hey, folks, that's the option. See you on the flip. Thanks for listening to the Dennis Miller Option. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here.